0: Welcome to the Get Off set podcast. My name is Emily,
1: and my name is Andrew.
0: coming at you from Seattle, Washington-ish area
1: where it finally feels like Seattle again.
0: I know it's been so sunny and warm and dry and now it's like a little rainy.
1: It's a little bit of rainy. It's a little bit of foggy. The forecast for the next week doesn't get above like seventy four degrees. It's oh, this yeah. is this is why we pay the rent we do or, this
0: is why we live here, right. Yes. I mean, I'm going to, I'm excited for, for like the running thing because when it was like getting hot, I'm like, Oh, I have to wake up early to run. Right. I don't like that. I don't like that at all.
1: I got up a couple times at like 6am to go play tennis with my wife and that was fun. But like by the time it was like, oh, I, about seven 15, 7, 30, time to get back, shower up real quick and get to the desk for yield day job. And it was all, I'm like, I'm already sweating buckets. It was not okay. No. And, no. no 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 no. Yeah, okay. and I'm sure everyone else is laughing at us, like, oh what how hot could it possibly be I'm like, look, dude, when it's a high of eighty five, I melt, all right?
0: Yeah. And it. also like people need to keep in mind we don't have AC, so when it does get into like eighty, it just makes inside house uncomfortable.
1: Oh yeah. I mean uh, Obviously I got... we have
0: nothing on like New Yorkers and Chicagoans who have like their window units, and that's it. And if a window unit breaks, then woof.
1: I mean, here's my thing with the heat is versus cold is see, I prefer the cold, and here's why. You can always put on another jacket when it's cold, but when it's hot, there's only so many layers you can take off before it's illegal.
0: That's literally what I say.
1: Well, there you have it.
0: We are in agreement. How about it? Podcast over.
1: There we go. Uh, momentous occasion. Now I've got a I've got a little portable AC unit on the other side of the office, and that poor little sucker. If I turn it on at like seven a.m. and I get it like my room down to uh like sixty-five. Now that sounds really luxurious, but the problem is it sounds can't cold. keep it can't keep up. So by two three p.m. in the afternoon, it's seventy-seven degrees in here with that thing running full blast. It just doesn't yeah. keep up because. Like I've got it, like a single-story house with a black tar roof, and you walk outside and look at the roof, and you just see like the heat, like the sizzle where the light refracts, funny, like coming off the top of the house. Yeah, and it just—it's an oven in here. So I don't it's use aluminum AC.
0: foil on the windows.
1: Uh, I'm pretty sure my landlord has something against that in the lease. Really? Yeah.
0: I've never seen that specifically in a lease.
1: I've seen it a couple of times, um, but it's definitely my lease. I can't do that. Yeah. It's not even the windows, isn't the issue because we've only got like one room with big windows. Like I'm in a room with a couple of windows that are shaded up the entire day with no skylights. It's just the heat coming from the ceiling is just brutal. So when it gets, if it gets above 80 outside, if I don't run the AC, it gets to 90, 95 in my room, which is awful for my guitars. Just why I'm happy to have an AC unit that at least keeps it under 80. But
0: Yeah, oof, no good. But it, we don't have to worry about that this week because it's we lovely. And it all started Thursday, which was the day uh, I was a little worried. Like <laughs> the day my band was supposed to play on a roof, like we wake up in the morning and it's like legit raining.
1: Dude, you played a live show. What was that I like? I know,
0: it was awesome. So um, it did end up clearing up and it, and it was a beautiful evening for our live show. So we did a show, Sunday Crush, where we were on a roof at the Inscape Arts building for the the Grounded video series that they're doing uh, that the people who run Big Building Bash are doing. And, uh, yeah, load-in was pretty easy. They seemed really professional. Setup went well and smoothly. Um, and uh, we'd gotten a couple rehearsals in. But, it's, I mean, it's obvious we weren't as well-rehearsed as we were when COVID hit, which we were, like, extremely tight. We hit most things... I, at one point, lost a bit of a guitar solo at the end and had a little bit of trouble finding it, though I did. And so I was kind of annoyed at myself for that. But everyone made, like, little itty-bitty mistakes. Um, the, the, the team was great. Everybody wore masks, um, except the performers while performing. And we put our masks back on, did a little interview. It got a good response. Like, we actually got tipped more. Then, uh, like via Venmo, people had just sent us a little money here and there. We got paid more than we did when we played, a, uh, when we opened for a well-known band at, uh, at Numo's. Nice. I mean, the bar was kind of on the ground there cause they didn't pay us very well at all, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was, that felt, that felt really, really good. And, um, it just felt so great to to play those songs again and be around my band again. Like we, we have, we have a lot of fun.
1: Social interaction. I
0: know it's so good. And then the other band was really great too. So uh, I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes if I can remember, but I'll definitely put it in the visual thread. So if you're listening to this, we have a Facebook group called get offset podcast. You can join it every week. I post um, just like links and pics of the things that we talk about in the episode so you can like it's uh, it's a it's a more fun way to do show notes i think
1: yeah no those are that's a highlight of my tuesday morning this oh. going through and uh since you do the show notes i get to contribute nothing and just get a good laugh it's awesome
0: <laughs> that means i also get to say whatever the hell i want
1: well then that's when i interject True. usually usually every other week i have to Jump in and be like, well, actually, no. Here, here's photos of this, or, yeah. But
0: I like the way anybody does a listening thread. Sometimes our our listener and patron Noah does a listening thread, which is always fun. Those
1: are always <laughs> Noah's got like this bombastic sense of humor that just leaves me rolling on the ground. Sometimes, oh, yeah. literally, it's great.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that was that was so so exciting, so fun. We also officially did um, have started up pre orders for the new album. So I think we sold like 10, 10 copies of that during the live stream, which was amazing. If you're curious, you can go to Sunday Crush. It's Sunday like the ice cream treat.com or uh, donutsounds.com. Uh, uh, that's our record label, and that's where we're doing the, the pre release for. And I forget exactly what organization we're giving to. Um, but Jenna and Isaac and the band vetted it. So, ten dollars—that's half the half the sales from our first one hundred uh, vinyl sales—is going to a, a really great cause dedicated to Black healing.
1: That's five hundred bucks. That's not a small potato.
0: That's a thousand dollars.
1: I swear, I have a college degree. I, I somehow passed. I—I
0: <laughs> I know what you thought. You thought I was saying half of ten dollars. Yeah. No, the the vinyl's twenty dollars. Uh so we're basically gonna lose money on the first like a hundred, but more like we're donating all of our proceeds from that basically. Right, right. Yeah. So uh with with the help from JR from Donut Sounds, like he's he's actually the one making it possible for us to, you know, one, release our music and two, uh get to such a good organization.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's super rad. I saw yeah. that in the live stream and like, ooh, that's pretty cool.
0: Yeah, it's pretty 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 vinyl, and then uh, also fun to be label mates with a uh, friendly robot because that's Mike Adams' band. Heck yeah! Uh-huh. So that's really fun. And then um, the the lead singer in the band, Bundy he works at Couchstraps. So oh, it's okay, this fun little that. like industry family, yeah.
1: And did you say friendly robot?
0: I think that's the name of the band. Friendly it's fellow robot,
1: robot. fellow.
0: God. You know what? I think I always call it friendly robot and it's all, and I'm always wrong. Fellow <laughs> robot. What am I, I thinking of?
1: I don't know, but I, I heard you say that. And I'm just imagining Mike listening to this with a smile on his face. Cause he's always like the most smiley, happy human I've ever met in my life. And just like his, his eyebrows furrowing. And his head tilting just a little bit to the right, like it, just like a twenty degree angle to the right. Like, wait, what? And oh no, that's nothing. And just and just keep listening. And now that I've called it out, he's like probably he's giggling right now. He's he's smiling.
0: I don't. Am I thinking? Am I just like thinking about the movie Wally? Like, what am I doing?
1: I don't know. But
0: <laughs> well, that's enough about me. Tell us how you got out in here into Ybor City. What's new with you?
1: Uh, What's new with me? Well, so I had a fun experience this week. I got to experience what it's like to be a modular synth.
0: Ooh, you are the synth now. Uh,
1: I became a synthesizer of sorts. Uh, I got to spend the night in the hospital. It was planned, so no need to freak out. But I did spend the night in the hospital for an overnight sleep study. And I counted up after the nurse got done putting all of the patch cables on my head and legs and everywhere else. I counted them up and I had precisely 31 patch leads plus a breathing tube around my nose. Uh, And if I had to get up to use the bathroom, like they unplugged the module, like the patch bay essentially, and then hung it around my neck. And so I've I've just like covered in in like just a rainbow of patch cables coming out from every – like under my shirt, over my shirt, down my shorts. I just – everywhere is so it was very strange. And knowing that that was all sending uh, information to a computer that got logged and is being reviewed by a doctor, super strange.
0: Ah, that's and really weird.
1: Definitely, like, I had a hard time falling asleep, which is partly why I was there. But part of me is like, I wonder, like, those late night thoughts, It's like, I wonder if there's a way to, like, circuit bend the data that's they're collecting and, like, have, like, a long synth drone of my night of sleep.
0: Huh, I'm sure that would not surprise <laughs> me if there's a way to do that.
1: Like I how think do you just I... like
0: created a, created a new genre of music,
1: right? Like there you go. That's my work day. I my entire work day. If I need to get something done, I'm just listening to it. An extended synth drone of what my sleep is like, and where it just becomes kind of wild around like hour six or seven, where I hit full REM. You know what I'm saying? Not the band yes. REM, but. Yes. Random was it random eye movement or rapid eye movement, something like that? Rapid.
0: Rapid eye movement.
1: So that was fun. And by fun yeah. I meant I mean I uh didn't sleep well but I did it.
0: I think that was kind of the point, wasn't it?
1: It was. I've honestly it was the best night of sleep I had the entire week, so I'm hanging in there right now.
0: Damn, dude. I don't think you should be driving. <laughs>
1: Well, that's a different conversation that uh, I should probably have with my grandpa. But
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm not gonna ask. It's fine. Um, cool. Uh do you have any, any new any new gear stories?
1: Um, I don't have any gear gear stories for personal gear. Uh just been putting a lot of work into Fox Cairo this week. I'm really looking at what my options are. Shout out to Cameron from Gib Sunday. He and I had a really great conversation yesterday talking about some options and he was offering me some friendly advice. So really appreciate it. Uh, Go give Gib Sunday and Tone Throne a follow.
0: Was it, was it friendlier advice than me saying, I told you not to use Squarespace?
1: It was a different realm of business advice. Uh, But yes, he was also friendlier about it than I told you so. (laughs) Not, <laughs> I deserve I it. I, i'm do, not lying the, i deserved that but
0: for for the record for the for the listeners uh andrew was building when he was first building the website for fox cairo i was like i think you should probably just use wordpress like i it's it's more flexible it has all these plugins yada 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 you can get hosting real cheap it's really not that much custom work and andrew just understood squarespace more like it worked more for him like visually I guess and I said, ah, you know, I think you're gonna find it restrictive. Um and show well, You are paying more you were paying more most monthly hosting for that than we're paying for the get offset site.
1: That's true. Uh there's a couple of the reasons that went into that in terms of um plug in compatibility for a for a model that I built out that I ended up abandoning for how I was gonna run the back end of the business. Right. And then since I've abandoned it, I've been Reworking other parts of that model, uh, and now I'm realizing I can't do what I want to do with it. So, the other part of it is, I actually, I that website was quite the saga to get together. I got to the point where, like, I could probably build this myself, but it's going to take me a lot of time. I have people that I know who are web devs, let me reach out to them and we can work something out. And I was like, I'll pay you, let's do this. And two web devs in a row, like, said, Sure, let's do it. And I, I made them, like, um, get like their guest logins for the website to be able to, to edit stuff and all of that. And like after two weeks, just radio silence uh, from two yeah, different Yeah, because
0: web- it's Squarespace.
1: Um, but just complete radio silence from both. Like they just straight up, like they didn't want like, – I was like, hey, like I haven't sent you the check. Do you still want the money or – So I yeah. got burned twice in a row. It was really awkward. Uh, and then finally just – I needed to do it myself and I just went for it. Yeah. So. I'm in a better place now. I've learned a lot and I've learned enough to know that this is now restrictive and I need to migrate the website.
0: I mean, I will happily help you. I helped Layla from Tuna Tone with her website. It's really just a WordPress theme. Um, so it's like, that's just kind of what I, what I mean, I've done that for, I don't do that professionally really as much. Like I help with a couple uh, client websites here and there and they're both on WordPress, thank God. But um, I, when I was at when I was at Artist Home and doing like uh, their kind of like jack of all trades person for their marketing and digital. Um, I managed a couple of different websites. One was on Squarespace, and Squarespace wasn't the worst one that I used. Wix was. I hated Wix so much. Um, like Wix had this weird thing where if we we could only ultimately only one human could edit it because um if you accidentally left yourself logged in and then like, say someone else logged in later and they made a bunch of changes, as soon as you made a single change on top of those, it would revert all of their changes. So that happened five or six times before we figured out what was going on. It just wasn't made for multiple people or multiple computers, even editing it.
1: Good gravy.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I'll help you with that. I mean, I really, I promise you it's easy.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would definitely appreciate it. I, I Despite how you know novice I was, I'm actually still really proud of how the website turned out in Squarespace with that build. I really like the yeah. look. I like the aesthetic. I like the layout. Um, so I'd definitely like to retain as much of that as possible then build from there. Uh, oh, and other thing in gear news. Uh, this is slightly gear news, slightly political, but it is what it is. USPS has been behind on a lot of shipments. I got burned on this because I still have a Fox Cairo customer who is – did not receive theirs, and I'm sending, i um, sending out another one this after or another two this afternoon. Um, first one never showed up; seems to be lost. And so, if it does show up at some point, that's fine. It's theirs. Uh, I'm now I'm sending two in two different packages and dropping them from two different locations. Uh, just hopefully one of them gets there. Uh, I w- I'm very intent on this customer getting it. I care a lot about doing right by my customers. But for everybody else, uh, the reason why I'm bringing that up. It's not so you could take advantage of me as the owner of Fox Cairo and trying to get multiple pedal toppers. Uh, the point is, USPS is behind. It's not entirely their fault. There's some political shenanigans, shenanigans behind that. Do, please, this is my personal plea, don't stop shipping through USPS. We we still need them around and do everything yeah. to support them. Amen. So I Amen will, to- despite one package yeah. lost out of like the 30 I've sent in the last month, uh, still going to go for it, still sending them. Uh, it's
0: honestly not usps's fault except for the postmaster general
1: right and so like, I said, like political we, we need it. we
0: need yeah we need usps it's i think integral to our uh functioning as a society and as a democracy and the reason that they're like quote failing is because they have some weird kind of like rules or regulations that just don't make sense like i think they have to have like all of their employees like pensions saved up somewhere instead of like working how most businesses work (laughs) where uh you don't always have everything in a savings account somewhere it's like that's my understanding and there's some other weird stuff but yes shipping shipping things is taking a little bit longer more people than ever are relying on deliveries for everything like People aren't just using, like, Instacart shoppers to go to the grocery store. They're buying food on, like, Amazon or through these meal kit providers. People are buying all of their stuff online. Amazon ships a variety of ways, and one of them is USPS. Uh, So, yeah, let's let's just practice a little bit of kindness and understanding that this is a very weird time. I know that people are buying our shirts, and it seems to be, like, those That seems to be moving faster than it had been, but I've been getting some pedals in, and I've had a couple instances where, like, it was supposed to be delivered today, and then it just didn't happen because USPS has, like, banned overtime. Right. So then pe- the delivery drivers are just getting farther and farther behind.
1: Right, right. So all of that to say... I- please seriously consider supporting usps from a consumer standpoint if yeah. you've got a if someone sent a pedal and it just still hasn't showed up please don't chew out your the small business you ordered from please please it's not their
0: fault yeah it's not and their like fault. for the record we like if you have, all if, the grace you can yeah if you have a tra- tracking number please do the thing where you call the usps
1: yeah because
0: it's like i i remember shipping things like through reverb like around christmas and I had two people be like, it just says it's in transit. And I'm like I, like, I can call, yeah, but I'm going to get literally the same information you're going to get, which is, we're just really behind right now. If it says it's in transit, that means it is not lost. Like, I got the Hosta wall from Flower Petals. That was sitting around in UPS for like four days. And it's fine. It's fine. I didn't need it. But um, it's just like, that's just an example.
1: Right. I mean, from a business owner perspective, like shipping is one of those things. Like I don't want to spend any more time than I need to on it because I mean, why it, so I've, yeah. the way I've got my, my shipping built out is when an order gets um, when I get an order, a label gets automatically created and printed. And then I, I've got it all tied together in the way that my system comes through to where once I make the topper, it, I grab the envelope. I, 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 the, lo- the longest, the most amount of time I spend in my shipping process is I always write a handwritten thank you note on the back of the uh, application instruction sheet. Aww. Uh, every single order that has gone out to date has had one of those. I haven't skipped out as far as I'm aware. Um, and if if you ordered one for me and I you didn't get a thank you note, uh, yell at me and I'll send you another one. I, I believe in that. That's uh, my version of Sweetwater's candy. So that's the most time I spend on it though. That takes me a couple minutes to write out, and then from there it's peel and stick. I lick the envelope shut, metaphorically, because of course I'm not actually licking them in the realm of COVID. Uh, and then I drop it, drop off the bunch of them like uh, a couple times a week when I've got a batch. Nice. Uh, so the reason why I'm sharing that information is not to bore you to death with what my business looks like from a week-to-week perspective. It's a that I, that's about as much time as I can spare on that process until I have to start neglecting other parts of the business that are more customer facing. Yeah, And I don't want to have to sit on hold with USPS for 48 minutes for each one of – like I love you guys, but if I can't do that for everybody. Realistically, I, I just don't have the bandwidth, and I know a lot of other business owners feel the same strain as they can't also just sit to, someone in front of their phone for eight hours a day.
0: Also to get literally the same answer. I mean, if, if something is like truly like a week and a half late, then yeah, it's probably time to file a claim, but that's about that. Well, yeah, but, um, this is to say, like I got some new pedals in. Can I tell you about one? I'm very excited about. Can I, can I, can I, the Empress Zoya is one I got a few weeks ago. Yeah. I got a Zoya and I'm having a lot of fun, like learning this kind of language.
1: Uh, it's I, it's I, an alien language. It's our modern day pyramids of how is that made? Aliens yeah. must have done it for us.
0: It reminds me a lot of the Poly Digit, um, which I had done some demos of. So it's basically like you're creating your own signal chains and you can do like stereo, mono things, uh, lots of different effects in there. Um, like the, the digit did have a lot of effects. Um, and for the record, like the Poly Digit looks like it's undergone – some seriously cool software upgrades. so I'm trying to work with um, Loki there, Loki <clears throat> to uh, get his new his newer his modulation version of that, the Bebo so I can play with that. Um, yeah, but I know that L- Loki was on um, the the tone mob podcast, and after that like I saw like a ton of people talking about the digit, so that's always that's always cool to see, but um, the the digit has just like it's just a big screen. And then the Zoya has these little these little buttons, so it looks kind of like one of those little Ableton pad type things.
1: But yeah, I like have really pad. just
0: yeah, I've barely scratched the surface of, of what it can do. But once once you get past like the understanding of the language and kind of how things work and what button does what, uh it it, it starts to feel really intuitive, which is really neat, um, is that it doesn't stay complicated, but it can get more complicated. So I'm just trying to run through some tutorials on that so I can do like a nice thorough kind of demo because it's sort of, I think it deserves that and like how to do specific things. So like, I love, I love doing like two different, like or different reverb in each ear. That's something that I really like doing um, that I played with on the digit some. So that's one of the two pedals I'm really excited about this week. But this week was recovery week at Get Offset Podcast. And the YouTube channel, mostly. Woo!
1: It was recovery week. And uh, in the fullest sense of the word, because listening to all those sound clips brought me so much life. It was awesome. A little soul recovery?
0: Yeah,
1: but I I don't mean that like in a, ha-ha, I'm an infomercial. I've got one-liners. It's more of like a, a genuine, honestly, they've got some really unique sounds. They're not just pumping out your Tube Screamer variants. Uh, One after the other, like that is full out innovation and some really dreamy sounds. And I just, my ears were tantalized.
0: Did you have a favorite?
1: I don't know. Don't make me choose. Maybe the white gold. I
0: don't. Yeah. I think the white gold was my favorite. I think that was just so fun to to play with. And um, I should say that was my favorite of the pedals that already been in production, but they just released their uh, gallows in the morning. If you go to recoveryeffects.com, I think that you can still pre-order that for like 200 bucks, which is a stellar price. But it's a dual, uh, it's it's just like an overdrive or a distortion. There's a toggle that to kind of choose between like the level of gain on one side. And then it's a reverb that just has like a reverb knob and a clean blend. And I think that I'm going to, like that surprised me. I think I'm going to put it on my bass board because if you just have the reverb up all the way, um, and then you have nothing on the clean, it can make your bass sound like a cello. I know that's like every, I know, I know that's every reverb pedal that has a kill dry, but it's still really fun. And the re- the way it's built, the reverb stays really pristine. Like everything stays really pristine. Like there's no muddiness added. I don't know. Like are, I, I don't know if they're running in series or parallel the reverb and the distortion, but it sounds like they might be running in parallel. I'm probably wrong about that. We're going to have them on the show to talk about it. But um, oh,
1: absolutely! I've got so many questions.
0: I have uh, questions. I, like I, how I, how how are you, how could you say something so brave, so controversial uh, yet so brave? <laughs>
1: uh, the the number one question I have is how. There has to be the most beautiful souls on the planet behind these sounds.
0: They are. Zara especially. Like, I don't know Greg as well, personally, but, like, I've had talks with her, and she is just, like, a a, a wonderful, wonderful person. And, like, I think it takes a really special person to care for animals the way that she does, and that's going to sound like kind of like a weird hippy-dippy thing to say. But Yeah,
1: man, just, like, the way that, like, you know, cats and dogs, you know, like, yeah, man.
0: Yeah, but um,
1: I haven't broken it in I, a while.
0: I know. <laughs> wow. I just remember having a really, really lovely several hours with them last summer, getting some drinks at Chuck's and then just hanging out in their studio and looking at their catio. And that was, that was a lot of fun.
1: Can I change subjects real quick? Yes. Uh, literally in this moment, I have just received tracking from USPS from something that I ordered earlier this week and i'm excited
0: oh is it musical related
1: it is i ordered something from big Ear.
0: Ooh, what you get what'd you get what'd you get what'd you get
1: i got the hot sauce
0: oh <gasps> yes i'm oh, so that's excited so <laughs> that's the good stuff man
1: i'm so excited I was so bummed. I think last time they had this, they sold out before I'd even like I know, heard that it was a thing, so they just had a limited quantity, and by the time you know the grapevine reached out to me, I was like, oh no, they're out. So this time around when I saw it, uh, Facebook must have known uh, because Facebook, Facebook is sentient. put and I saw Karen's announcement, "Hey, we just got some of these in stock." I clicked through, clicked again, clicked again, clicked again, and it was ordered. Just like that, four clicks, boom, done. I didn't even think about it. I just made it happen. Good.
0: You don't want to think about hot sauce.
1: I'm I'm so excited for it to get here. So yeah. anyways, that was my brief aside. Do we want to talk? Sponsors? Sponsors, sponsors.
0: This week's episode of the Get Offset Podcast is brought to you by another Seattle-based puddle company, Spun Loud Effects who have released fairly recently their Blister and Peel V2. It's a dual It's a dual dry slash fuzz pedal, and it's dope. It's orange. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. I can't get over how beautiful that enclosure is.
1: I'm a fan. Um, I'm going to spare you guys all from my uh, prophetic... Uh,
0: Just stop with the orange, please. For <sighs> love God and all that. Dang assault. it. Well,
1: okay, well, I'm not saying... <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I was going to stop with it. If you, if you haven't already adhered to it, it's too late for us. So it's too
0: late. We've, it's, yeah, it's, it's too like
1: late. warming. I mean, at this point it's too late. It's
0: 1159.
1: <sighs> yeah. And uh, not enough orange petals out there in the world.
0: <laughs> oh my God. Like, like there aren't a billion DS ones and twos.
1: Certainly not a billion. Let's not be hyperbolic.
0: There's at least a million.
1: And now I feel like I'm being pandered to. Come on.
0: Let me see. I'm curious. How many DS... I'm
1: going to guess 1.4 million sold? have been I, I, produced.
0: I'm sorry. How many did you say?
1: I said 1.4 million. Well, they're not, tr- tr-
0: they're not they're not um, tracking their sales.
1: Maybe not. So let's look at produced.
0: Oh, no, no, no. They say that um, more than... T- 10 million boss pedals have been sold.
1: So, how so, many of those have been the DS1?
0: I would bet a lot. I would not be surprised if one tenth of there.
1: And how many of them are TV's? on sale as supposedly Kurt Cobain's, which we all know is not true?
0: At least a thousand.
1: Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> well, anyways, Spun Loud, uh, if you want a an orange petal that does more than one thing unlike the DS1 uh go seriously go check it out uh it would make me happy it would make emily happy and more importantly it'll make you happy because your tone will be happy all that to say be happy by spun loud
0: yes joy is important
1: we need more joy in this world especially this yeah. year yeah
0: let's well, tell you what's not bringing me any joy
1: I'm going to guess it's uh, corporate nonsense.
0: Corporate nonsense is not joy. Uh, so this week, I think we want to talk about um, what the Spotify CEO, Daniel Ek, has said. And this was a couple weeks ago, even. But I can't stop thinking about how boneheaded it was. He says that uh, artists need to work harder, basically. <laughs> Well, what do you say? surely he said, that's
1: got to be a paraphrase. What, what Help me out here. So I, I've read the can article. Read,
0: can, I, can I read the quote?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> even today on our marketplace, there's literally millions and millions of artists. What tends to be reported are the people that are unhappy, but we very rarely see anyone who's talking about. In the entire existence of Spotify, I don't think I've ever seen a single artist saying, quote, I'm happy with all the money I'm getting from streaming, end quote. Stating that publicly, in private, they have done that many times, but in public, they have no incentive to do it. But uh, that is to say that they're happy with the money they're getting. Uh, But unequivocally from the data, there are more and more artists that are able, able to live off of streaming income in itself. There is a narrative fallacy here combined with the fact that obviously some artists used to do well in the past may not do well in this future landscape where you can't record music once every three to four years and think that's going to be enough. Woof. The artists today that are making it realize it's about continuous engagement with their fans, about putting the work in, about the storytelling around the album, and about keeping a continuous dialogue with your fans. I feel really that the ones who aren't doing well in streaming are predominantly people who want to release the music way it really used to be released. And I will say one thing to his credit about this. Um, There are a couple reasons that artists aren't making a lot of money via streaming. It's not just the payouts. Some artists with how their label deals and their publishing work are only getting fractions even of that, So a lot of people have bad publishing deals that are preventing them from getting all of the revenue that they should be getting. That being said, wow, what a rude thing to say.
1: I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, yeah,
0: let's – where should we start? I mean, so I think can
1: – Can we start with – I'm going to preface something here. And it's something that I haven't prefaced in a while. Uh, So you're going to smack me virtually for saying this. I think I'm going to agree. with. I think realistically, I agree with you wholeheartedly on the subject. However, for the next few minutes, I am going to, against every instinct I have in me, do my best to play devil's advocate. Knowing that I'm going to fall flat on my face because I don't think there's...
0: White man's favorite thing.
1: I know. I for the sake of posterity, I've got to try and poke some holes in this to see how far I can get. I just don't think I'm going to get very far. So that's my preface. That's and let's see let's yeah. see how I can kind of rephrase and look yeah. at this in a different light. I don't think – yeah.
0: Yeah, so um, let's start with Napster because I feel like it has to start with Napster because until then – It all nap- comes
1: back to Napster.
0: Well, it does because before Napster, labels would uh, – actually kind of invest money in people (laughs) and they they would they would try they they would like sign a bunch of similar bands throw them at the wall and see what stuck so like not every band was like successful clearly this is not how it happens and a lot of bands still didn't make money i mean you were lucky i think that michael jackson only made like eight dollar for every album he he sold so like there was never a lot of money being made from album sales
1: yes because michael jackson's the one we should feel sorry for with their income from the industry no
0: i'm saying that this person with um all this clout and all this this ability to like really pull his weight and get better deals that even he was only getting like a buck for every album sold that's what i'm saying um so that's part of it um what when napster hit the music industry was really kind of on an upswing. It was really a big heyday. There were tons of labels, tons of music being released, lots of money being put behind uh, these these bands who had, like, you'd buy the, their album and they'd have, like, one good song, and that was a single. So you'd buy the whole album to get a single because... Like yeah, CD singles existed but they kind of sucked. It's not like this the when there was vinyl, you could just buy the 45 and then you could just have the single and a B-side and pay a little bit less and be happy. Um so there was this this kind of disconnect. I think people were really unhappy with this realizing that they had to buy the whole album to get the single. The single was good, the rest of the album sucked. So there were some cases of that happening. The Napster comes along and people are able to share music uh, without paying for it. And it just feels free because it's not a tangible good, right? <clears throat> it's like you would never like, like, it, it's not even like, uh, so if you ha- if you bought a painting and you made a copy of the painting, it's not going to be the same quality. So it's like, yeah, you can't duplicate it. But when you do music over like P2P, peer-to-peer sharing, it didn't lose any of the fidelity really so people were sharing music, and then also at the same time, and this is arguably arguably kind of a bigger issue, is borrow to burn. So people would borrow, so one person would buy a CD, they'd share it with their friends, they'd all put it on their computer, they'd all have it on their iPhones, I mean iPods at that time. And then in, in the music industry was like, how can we stop people from stealing music? Spotify comes along. Spotify... Really did effectively kill streaming of albums, like and not st- theft of albums, like that. Like peer-to-peer effectively killed it because now you have this free platform if you want to pay if you want to like deal with the ads, or this very affordable platform where you can listen to like every song ever, pretty much with some exceptions, obviously. And you know it was that because how many times did someone who have Kazaa think they were downloading Fiona Apple and actually get Cage Choice just because they're both? women who sing in a low register like a lot me personally uh so it really did effectively kill p2p so spotify did that well right
1: i mean i haven't <laughs> definitely was uh, guilty of being like hey i'll take the uh the album home from the bus and then bring it back in the morning after i burned it and hand it off to yeah. the next kid on the bus. Uh yeah. Definitely did that with the Taylor Swift album in college, actually. I think that was 1989. No, I did, no, I did that with high I did that with Red. Yeah, yeah. Um yeah. I think that was the last time I did that because I was starting to get into Spotify. And but one guy at the end of the hall is like, guys, I've got like a pirated copy of Red. Um pretty sure I still have that like loaded on my laptop that I haven't fired up in three years. But yeah, I mean. I haven't done it since then. It's definitely dropped off.
0: Yeah. That's also partially because who has a CD-ROM drive anymore? But I do. I, I do in one of my computers, and I'm probably going to need to just buy like an external one for other reasons. So now Spotify did that really well. We'll give them credit for that. With, but they always had the promise that artists would still make money. They would still um, be able to make income from this, that it wasn't free. And I don't think they've delivered on that promise. And they've created this kind of, they, they create this, this, this problem that now they're complaining. It seems, it feels like this Daniel's complaining that uh, artists are complaining about this problem that his band brand effectively created, because even though Spotify exists and people aren't stealing records, the music industry and album sales or album creation hasn't improved at all. So it used to be back again in this heyday, you're, when you have a record deal, the record company only takes money from the records sold. So then uh, they make all their money on the album. You might get some money back after your royalties have been paid off like after your advance has been paid off and a lot of bands never made it to this point even bands that sold a a million records like a tribe called quest like never made a dime from album sales but they got to keep all their touring all of their merch uh their publishing for the most part uh their licensing they probably had to share that with whoever was doing their publishing um but they they were able to make money between album cycles and everything that happened between the album cycles is how they made their money. So that was how it used to work. After Napster, basically record labels were like, we cannot sustain ourselves just on album sales anymore. So they started signing artists to what's called a 360 deal, which means in theory, the label would help them with merch, touring, licensing, publishing, et cetera, And then they would take a cut in practice. They maybe weren't getting as much, they weren't giving as much support to the artists as the artists would have liked. The artists have less control over their merch when somebody else is running it like that. Um, So 360 deals are wildly unpopular with artists, but it was the only way really you could get a major label deal. Even some indies, honestly. So that's how the album, that's how the record label, that's how the record industry changed a little bit. Cue Spotify. Nothing. Right. So what's improved since Spotify? Visibility. Visibility. Less theft. I mean, somebody's getting paid for these, for these streams. I self-published the Spotify title and all those. So I know what the raw numbers are that I get from my streams and people are starting to publish those rates. Spotify pays toward the least amount, but you still get the most money from them because they're the most popular platform. Right. Meanwhile, they get used the
1: most and...
0: meanwhile, artists owned and black owned title pays significantly more, at least twice as much, but you don't get as much money from them because not as many people use title.
1: Right. Right. So I then, mean... if you
0: have like a publishing contract, your your publisher is taking part of that stream, part of that money, and then they're paying you out like a fraction of this fraction of a penny per stream. Uh, So you would need about 1,200. So a 10 song download, an album sale, 10 song download. The album equivalent is about 1,200 premium audio streams or 3,700 ad supported streams. Uh, And that's how you get the, that, that's what, that's what, um, actually that's not right. How much does it take? How many streams does it take to earn a dollar? Let's look at that.
1: And while you're looking at that, I'm kind of, I'm thinking to myself, Spotify is this massive business and where is this money? Coming? Where is it going? Like, where, where is it going? Because the reality is not all of that money is going to the artists. And so my question is, my question is less of how much is each artist getting per stream or realistically, how much are they able to get? My question is how is that variant from where versus the, the total cash pool? So if we look at Spotify's net worth, which admittedly that's not a liquid number. So we have to keep that in mind, but it's worth 21 billion. The CEO of Spotify is worth 4 billion. that's a, a lot of money, and again, that's not money. all of that's liquid. So it's not like they've got four billion. Like he's got four billion of cash. I'm sure a lot of that is in uh, his stake in the company. Yeah. So, uh, where's it the going?
0: Where does co- it where does it go with any other business?
1: It Employees, a, right?
0: Developers, advertising, marketing,
1: payouts so, to their
0: shareholders.
1: Exactly. So this is where I start to look at it and go, okay. Artists are getting paid less for their work now, but that's because the the new model now with Spotify in the picture, there's more hands in the cookie jar. And so if I think of it from that perspective, does it seem less equitable or does it just seem like this is just how the business has evolved and it's not necessarily Spotify being greedy?
0: Right. Well, this is my attempt at
1: devil's advocate here, by the way.
0: I mean, yes. So I've said this kind of before about reverb, so I don't really want to like be a hypocrite i'm not going to be a hypocrite spotify does deserve a a good amount of that money that they they take because they put a lot of money into developing a platform into all these uh, licenses to get the music and all the work that that entails
1: industry leader change
0: yeah marketing getting people to use the platform uh like that was its own thing because people were suspicious about it so like all of that investment like, yeah, they deserve to make money. I think and, Daniel Eck deserves to be a very wealthy man, to be right. honest. He cre- he did create a platform. However, let's – okay.
1: There's- well, and just to tack on to that, I want to make a very bold claim here for, for, for a quick moment. And I would like to say that I think Spotify has made more of a difference in bringing the music industry into the digital age than Apple did in the 2000s.
0: Oh, well, I don't want to t- – like, okay, iTunes literally only exists and is only, like, the standard, despite it always being a piece of trash as a software. Like, iTunes was just the f- – one of the first, if not the first. Like, I – yeah, I hate – I've always hated iTunes. I've always had a contentious relationship with iTunes. I hate it. But, yeah, <laughs> they did. They, they – well, they made it <sighs> – they made it you can hate different. it but
1: they did have a really big impact for the music industry in terms of changing the format in which music is consumed and making it more accessible to the masses for those who could afford iPods and creating the huh. platform of iTunes that exists on hardware that either Apple users or Windows users worldwide already had so right. I, they made a huge splash i it really i'm not trying to deny that Apple made a huge difference but as big as what Apple did in the 2000s. now let's look at Spotify and now it's it's on um, you could put this on any mobile device it's a, it reaches more platforms now instead of just having iTunes loaded on your computer and listening to it from there you can access it from anywhere and so the the amount of traffic and the advertising it, it, I think right for for the whether it's for the worst or for the best I think it's changed the music industry much more. It made it more digital than Apple did. That's what I'm trying to say. I
0: think that's I think that's that's fair. I do think that's fair. Um, but let's look at the numbers for how many streams it takes to get a dollar. Um,
1: dollar, dollar bills, let's y'all.
0: Look at, so YouTube, uh, a thousand, about 1,500. YouTube doesn't pay very well, and YouTube only pays like okay. Let's not talk about YouTube anymore. Pandora, 752. Amazon. Two hundred and forty nine. So artists don't feel bad about kicking your music off of Amazon. They don't have any users, and they pay like trash. Shocker. Uh, Spotify: two hundred and twenty nine streams to make a dollar. Now, think about think about the artists that you love, and how you want to support them. Do you think you are going to listen to that that song two hundred and twenty nine times? Do you think that do you, would you pay a dollar? To listen to it, two hundred twenty nine times. Like, think about that. Just think about that. Think about how little you're actually supporting the artist that you love when you're when you're like, come on, this is so well, okay. Ridiculous. Sure, that's so ridiculous I'll, amount of money.
1: Well, no, okay. So I'll bite on that for a quick moment here. Do I want? Do I think that that it, I would listen to a single song two hundred twenty nine times? No, I, there's very few songs that would do that. However, it, in In terms of storage space and not wanting to have to pay for for cloud storage or just having a larger – like paying another $100 for a phone with more storage space uh, or uh, wanting to upload my iTunes folder to my work laptop so I can listen at work. No, and so the accessibility is what – from a user standpoint, that's where it – for me to want to consume music, there's so much more money I'd have to sink into it in order to own the physical hard drive space. To host that on and since that's not in the cards for me in the the ways that i consume now it's say, well what are my cloud options
0: is that really it is that just is that it is that the big reason you would not pay a dollar to have a song is because it has like i don't know one kilobyte of data
1: i don't <laughs> well because it yes honestly and from the perspective of a lot of users absolutely if i'm if I can get the 16 gig iPhone and it hosts all of the apps that I need on it versus if I'm going to get an iPhone or like Android users will do this where they get their external, uh, the external uh, micro SD for like, you know, 64 gigabytes and that's like 80 bucks for the card or at least it was at one point in time. Let's say, let's say even 50 bucks to have that. And now you're inserting it, but now you have an Android. So, ha. and it becomes a game of how much storage space do I have on handheld devices That margin is a lot smaller. You have to pay a lot of money just to have the nicer device that can handle that much data because it's not just the one song. No one's loading just one song on their phone. People are trying to load albums. People are trying to load a a, a catalog of what their preferences are and versus for no, for very little extra space on my phone hard drive, I could download Spotify for $10 a month. I could have no ads and it functions the exact same way, but I've got access to a much larger database. (laughs)
0: i mean from a consumer standpoint it makes sense but there are a lot of really nasty things that make sense from a consumer standpoint but music it's not like it's not like buying an apple like a literal apple that you consume and it's gone you don't really have to think about like everything that apple went through like you don't have an emotional bond with the food that you eat you probably don't have an emotional bond with like the makeup that you buy necessarily, or like a lot of other things, but you get an emotional bond to music. I mean, and this is someone's livelihood. So I feel like we're getting so far away from it and we have not a lot of time, but
1: right. Well, we're getting there. We are getting there. So,
0: okay. But can I just say you need 229 streams on Spotify to give your artists that you love a dollar. You only need 80 streams on title to do that. How many songs do you listen to 80 times? Andrew,
1: um, probably just about a girl by Nirvana when I'm really sad.
0: Or like 80 streams of an artist to listen to an artist. Like that's like listening to a 10 song album, 10 times, eight, eight times.
1: I mean, I'm sure I've done it before, but I mean, honestly, I've probably listened to Covet at least that many given covet few hundred streams, but I mean, that's okay, if we're different. We're, di- we're different the, consumers that, of music. <clears throat> <laughs> that That's definitely not the norm though, for the different bands that I consume. That's not the normal amount of streams I'm putting into it. So, sure, I' am not giving most of the artists I care about more than a dollar with my streams.
0: So you don't buy albums because you don't listen to albums more than once.
1: Well, stop stop asking me directly because I do buy albums. I just buy CDs.
0: But... <laughs> well, I mean, but, the, but here's the thing, Andrew. Like, that's not that's not okay. You're I are not about the norm. storage space. You're complaining about right. storage space, but like. Digital's not the only way that you can buy music. And it's not the only way I buy music. I buy vinyl records from record stores like Sonic boom and Ballard. I buy, I buy CDs at shows because it's the easiest way to listen to music in my car. Still. Uh, I buy, I buy tapes when that's what is available from the artist because I do have a way to like, listen to them. Like we can't just talk about, we can't just talk about it like this. Like, but so let's get back to what this, what this, what this, what Daniel said.
1: Right. You well, said re, that re-read, artists... reread the quote.
0: I'm not going to reread the whole quote. Um, <laughs> you can't. Okay. <clears throat> Combined with the fact that obviously some artists that used to do well in the past may not do well in this future landscape that Spotify has created, where you can't record music once every three to four years and think think it's going to be enough so the reason that it used to be every three, there's a few reasons why music used to be recorded every three to four years. It takes a lot of time to create quality art, to write those songs, to get them recorded, to get them mixed and get them mastered. It takes time to physically print the materials to go through the design process. It takes like six weeks to eight weeks to 10 weeks to get vinyl pressed right now. Um, people needed to tour. Obviously that's not a thing right now and might not be until the end of next year. Um, people needed to go on tour to support the music. So you go on tour to support the album, to sell more copies of the album and also to sell tickets and kind of make a living off of that to sell merch and like, kind of like you have to milk that creative thing that you, you, you birth, you spent time birthing. Um, it's got a long, uh, just gestation period. Uh, I mean, it's just like, and then some people have always been prolific. Elvis Costello was always releasing albums every year. So Prince was always releasing albums every year. Not everyone is that prolific. I mean, look at Fiona Apple. She goes six, eight years between album cycles, and then she just unleashes this masterpiece on people. And it's worth the wait. Sometimes, sometimes art is worth the wait and you cannot, tell artists to create more music more quickly than they can, because it's not like printing widgets. It's not, that's that's literally not what it is. It's not like taking mattresses off an assembly line. It's like telling people they need to like create a completely new product from scratch every single year. And so that works for some artists and doesn't work for others. But to tell people that they need to do that or they can't expect to make a living in Spotify land is is trash because he just wants more content that he can promote to people and make them listen to it.
1: So here's huh, – where, where, where do I begin trying to poke holes in this? Um, all right. So – I'm and basically,
0: you can I just say, he's telling artists you need to do the least lucrative part of your art very frequently, even if it screws up the most lucrative part of what you do.
1: Okay, so I'm not sure if that's what he's saying. And let, let me... He is. So here's what I'm seeing the perspective from. He's. I think he's speaking specifically... If I'm going to be charitable here, I think he's speaking to the perspective of just streaming income. And so looking at it from a boomer bus model where if like when you release the album, you get a ton of streams, you are booming, you're making a ton of money, and then it's going to slowly taper off. And now you're at a bus level. And that just with the ecosystem of streaming, that's what you're looking at. And so I think he's saying if you want to be able to live off of streaming year after year alone, this is what it takes to make – got you, you gotta, you've got to perpetually have releases in order to perpetually have these spikes. So that's – if I'm reading into what he's saying, he didn't make that very clear, and I am admitting that I'm being incredibly charitable by giving that analysis. It, so from that perspective, sure. As far as the rest of what artists are doing outside of that in terms of touring, merch, and album sales, I think that's a Licensing. different – Right. I yeah, think that's yeah. a different world, and I don't think Mr. Eck honestly is in that world. That's not his ballgame. Uh, they've, they've played a little bit with streaming. Uh, so to so that sense, he's had a little bit of of skin in that game, but that's not really the world he's in. He's in the world of streaming. So keeping the conversation contextualized to that makes sense. Now, where this is where I start to kick back a little bit and step out of my devil's advocate is I'd like to bring up this, come back to the notion of boom or bust. And the idea of boom or bust is uh, I think the term uh, goes back to like oil or whatever the idea is like you you strike gold you make a ton of money and then either you if you blow it all once you're really kind of screwed when it comes to when things dwindle down now the difference being is i i don't think with spotify's model right now it's a boom or bust i think it's a get by and then bust model no one's truly booming uh or at least most people aren't booming when they release a record they're not the the amount that it pays out doesn't allow someone to truly boom no and And so looking at it from the perspective of like, okay, he's saying boom or bust, and you just want, if he's seeing people that are complaining that people aren't able to boom on a regular basis. What I'm seeing as an artist uh, is from an artist's perspective is. No, like we're only making just enough money to get by every time we release an album, and then it quickly tapers off and it's it's not enough after that point. We want we need a bigger piece of the pie. And so I, I'm looking at this as saying this very much feels like a corporate rebuttal to the to the proletariat saying, Hey, we need a bigger piece of the pie if this is gonna work for everybody. And I think it's he's phrased it really sneakily and I'm at this point more or less stepping out of it. Uh, even with just the contextualization of it being focused in the streaming world, I'm not sure that holds the weight it needs to unless, and this is where I I have to have a level of resignation, unless Spotify truly has that much control over the industry where they've permanently redefined what that looks like. And at this point, arguing about that is a moot point, and it's now time to adapt and move on. Whether or not we're at that point, I think different people will agree on, but I mean the same way that the film industry is slowly moving the same direction where it's quantity over quality and trying to crank out material in smaller chunks with lower quality, now you've got Queeby. Quibi is trash television, but it's that constant stream that media consumption corporates looking at going great. This, this works for us really well. We can, we can forecast this a lot easier. Uh, We've, I mean, from a corporate mindset that sure, that makes a lot of sense, but from a consumer standpoint, you're suffering on quality and from the artist standpoint, you're suffering in terms of that just completely changed the game and no one likes the new game.
0: No. Well, I can tell you who does like the new game. And I think I vaguely know who he's talking about because like, if you do the math, you get a million streams. That's a lot of streams. That's a, that's like a lot of equivalent album sales. You get $3,000. That's it. So who is making money and who probably is happy with this are these, ugh, people call them like fake bands or fake artists. And it's like these artists who don't really exist. They have a bunch of different names, but it's all like the same couple people churning them out. And then they create these playlists, like music to fall asleep to and just like a bunch of kind of ambient, like, Quiet stuff, and that's not. I, I'm not saying anything about the quality of it. I haven't even listened to this kind of stuff. But people put it on when they fall asleep or they study. And it's like background noise, and it's just because they're creating these playlists and they're advertising and promoting these playlists that are background noise.
1: Sure, they're hard playing they, the system. That's fine. I yeah, don't so, so they're doing.
0: That. The, yeah, that's exactly what the, that's exactly what they're doing, and they're doing a little bit to make just a scoodge of money. Um, and then like on mass and have like a lot of this and kind of trucking. It's it's like the same kind of um, idea as creating a website that's designed to get views and not designed to provide like excellent information, but it's maybe vaguely helpful. And then the way they make their money is through ad revenue and affiliate sales. And they don't exist to actually sell you anything. They exist to get those like commissions and that incremental passive Revenue. So those are probably the people who are happy with it because it's passive revenue.
1: Sure, I mean I, I don't, I don't honestly have a problem with that. I, that those are not the people that I'm looking at and finding myself upset with because the the game changed. Oh, You're I'm not, not upset with playing that. the new game. So the, where my headspace starts to go, with this and again, I've I've left the world of devil's advocate at this point is. Uh, looking at the bigger picture and going okay so the game is changing to a degree there's only so much to be done about this because at this point you have to comply with Spotify to to from a marketing and an income perspective to a, to to a degree to be a large successful artist Taylor Swift is only able to keep her music off of Spotify for a couple of years before putting it back on i mean
0: well and, and to be fair like she also pulls her weight around like artist rights a lot like she did for apple music when right. Apple Music was just a li- like literally going to use people's art for free, like
1: right. So uh, my thought here is, uh, I I want to appreciate what Spotify has done. What I think what they've done is really great. I think in terms of the value they've provided for consumer accessibility and allowing people to get drawn into the wider world of music and not just the same eight albums that their dad had on the shelf as a kid or whatever's on the radio. I think. I think there's a lot of really positive merit in that. My question isn't trying to like say Spotify is completely evil because I'm not sure that's the case either. My question is how do we continue to work the system where everybody everybody wins? Because what I'm seeing is Spotify is looking at saying we Spotify corporate needs to win, and in order for them to win, they have to make the customers win. It's not as contingent to make the artists win in order for their business models to succeed. And this is something that I've um, on a micro scale of really tried to wrap my head around with the, for the business model for Fox Cairo and the way that I've been building out the artist collaboration program, making sure that independent artists are getting paid for their custom work for the um, for, for the toppers that they've been designing and making sure that they're getting, and I, I grant that that has been a, really strange process for me to work and realize that it's really difficult to make everybody win in a situation but yeah i don't accompany their size i really think that they've got it for everybody to win we've got to find a way to say hey mr Eck, i get it you've everybody's got to win if this is going to work long term before before you're going to start seeing some sort of another major shift no. Uh, but by so like, and
0: large, artists artists aren't winning, and when your entire business model is built on this art and the artists aren't winning, it's just – it's exploitative.
1: Right, and a lot of capitalism is, and I, that's my fear, is that we're headed that direction. There's going to be no turning back. We are,
0: we're, we've are we already passed it, I think, personally, but like you sure. see people like Joey Joey from uh, La Neve – uh, who we had on the show, he started a new, he's part of a new like musicians union and they're trying to like negotiate better payout rates for streaming. So that's something I'll also drop a link to. Um, Cause I think it's important. I think also like, if you're not a musician, like I think it's important to show support. I mean, it- listen, there are ways that Daniel could say like, Oh, music, like this is, and this has been like musicians from the beginning of time. There's always someone who comes in, swoops in, takes your revenue streams and then tells you how to make the money again, like how to make that money back. Like people are coming in, swooping in and being like, we're taking all of your album sales, but you know, you should get a Patreon, you know?
1: Right. I mean, it's like I you don't. can't
0: screw artists and then blame them for not making their own money. And this mm-hmm. is exactly what he it's It's what it sounds like he's saying is that he's blaming artists for not abiding by this 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 problem that he created, right? Maybe the, he does have a listen-age. Maybe it's a solution to churn out music every year, even if it's not good.
1: Well, it, well, he's not saying even if it's not good because, of course, he's not going to suggest that. He wants it to be the same quality year every year, but That's it, not it, it per- works. Dr- consistent engagement with fans is important, and Spotify is not the only place to do that, and for the. What I'm seeing is what he's saying makes sense if streaming is the only is the only revenue stream. Uh, and so to a degree, I, I see what he's saying. And contextualizing to just Spotify alone, I don't think he's necessarily wrong. Sure, it's a little harsh. But I think that's the subtext of that is how the game has changed, what that the implications are. I'm not sure I like, I'm not sure I'm okay with long-term. So it's less an issue of what his direct statement is and more of what's sitting underneath it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's just, it, it again, it, I've said this a couple of times. He, in a way he created the problem. He solved one problem, created another.
1: And now he's and making sure to try I, and solve it themselves.
0: So- and I, yeah. And exactly. And I feel like he, he made a promise and I feel like that promise hasn't been really met that okay people aren't going to steal your music anymore but guess what now nobody's buying your music at all because people right, start buying right
1: music. right right Unless so... it's,
0: except for vinyl digital sales are are dropping they have been for years i think vinyl sales are going up a little bit but that's still like a niche product cd sales are tanked tape sales are kind of up but again a niche product
1: so here's where i uh, before we i don't want to talk in circles too much but looking ahead to the future here's what i'm seeing uh is spotify has become the standard so last decade we had itunes this decade we've had spotify and now we're getting to this the same circle has the same cycle is circling back and now artists are upset again and they're trying to figure out well we don't like this what now and i think it's just a matter of time if spotify doesn't change to be more equitable before someone else figures out a way to disrupt the industry again and leave Spotify in the dust the same way that Spotify has left left iTunes in the dust the same way that iTunes has left Napster and so on. Like the cycle has gone over, turned over the last couple of decades like clockwork. We're reaching that point again. Are we going to see another industry disruptor or are we going to see Spotify say, Hey, we don't want to make the same mistake the last guys did. Let's adjust at the end of the cycle and try to prevent this from happening again. So that's all that. And that's what I'd like to close on as far as Spotify goes.
0: All right. Well, I I do want to want to say like, so there's this idea that um, artists should be consistently and constantly releasing music. And that does work for some artists. Like, I feel like that's a big thing with SoundCloud rappers to release singles instead of albums. Um, But I've like, I've done this with, with a couple of artists uh, there was one person I worked with in Nashville and I was like, I think you should do like an A-sides, B-sides club for 12 months and then you can release an album from all of those singles. And it would be like his fans would be getting consistent music. Um, but the truth of the matter is releasing constant singles doesn't hype anybody as much as releasing an entire album does because if you're sending out that single email then it's like every month it's like oh here's another or here's another email from this person's publicist or it's just it doesn't hype up fans as much and still like it really needs to be like album cycles to get a lot of public uh to get a lot of reporters to to cover to cover your music it can't always be just singles like singles are a way to break through but albums have to be hyped and it just like I just really still think that he's missing out on the fact that it takes months. Like the soccer mommy album that was just released. She finished that late last year and it came out like two months ago. So that's six months just from like when she's done recording to it getting released. So if you're releasing an album every year, that means essentially you have to like record every, every six months, almost.
1: I think you're correct. Assuming that the model hasn't changed. And I think, spotify is changing the model so to a degree
0: i i mean i'm still the one who's in a who's like in that little space in the music industry space
1: right my i guess i did say i wanted to end on that but my caution is to you looking at it from the my perspective is if the if the industry really is changing uh, you can't say this is the way it's always been this is the way it works best and expect that only goes so far and resisting change versus adapting with the change and I think that's the part of what Eck is saying that I resonates from me from someone who works in the tech world where you've got to constantly adapt and overcome to stay relevant so I don't know but, I don't it's, know. but, it's,
0: but it's like it's I not appreciate
1: like, how hard that is I'm not saying that you're wrong and I'm not saying that that hasn't worked really well for artists in the past it's, it's not pers-
0: adapting to change andrew it's like someone's coming in and stealing like the way you make money and then they're telling you that you need to change their processes like that you need to solve the problem that they created it's like someone spills a glass of milk in front of you and says like they spills your glass of milk and says you need to clean that up that's I what mean, it feels like
1: i know and I, I'm not discounting that i don't i don't disagree i just At a certain point, you can't stop the person from spilling the glass of milk. And that's where I say this. What I said before, there's a degree of resignation that comes behind that. And it depends on whether or not you're willing to just resign and move on. Um, I I, mean, it's a really terrible place to be put in.
0: You can resign to it or you can do what Joey is doing and like get some collective action going and change it because it I think that it can be changed. And I don't think we need to resign ourselves to this is just the way things are now. I think we can look at it and say this used to be lucrative. We can make it lucrative again. And I'm not saying lucrative like be a millionaire. I'm saying lucrative like make a fair amount of money for the work be that able you're to pay doing rent and, and buy real groceries. Yeah, if people are responding to your music and listening to your music, you should be able to like, like get money from doing that like i'm not saying again i'm not even saying like
1: yeah yeah it's like
0: your only job necessarily but it should be fair it should be fair compensation for the work it shouldn't be other people making a ton of money off of your work and then telling you like how to to like get around that because then eventually record labels are going to be like we want some of that patreon money even though they killed fan clubs 10 years ago like it's just it's It's how it is. It's It's a
1: very frustrating power dynamic. I fully grant you that. And I'm not arguing that. And I think we're starting to talk in circles again. So.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just want to, I just want that point to land, I guess.
1: That's totally fine.
0: That I think that we should, as musicians have more collective bargaining weight than we do.
1: Well, I think I need to go take a shower and rinse off the devil's devil's advocate sticky ooey gooey that I now feel because that didn't feel great. But um, thank you for listening and thank you for understanding. Uh, join the conversation in the Facebook group. I think this is going to be one that we need to flesh out a little bit more in the comments there. So join. Let's have that conversation this week. And uh, yeah.
0: Well, I'm Emily. I'm Andrew. Goodbye.
1: Bye. One, two.